everybody. Today we're going to be talking about the bank shot job, which I always forget. This is the fifth episode, I think, of of the first season of Leverage. I am I'm Christina, and today I'm joined by a new co-host. Her name is Lisa Lynn. And Lisa, tell us how you got into Leverage. Hi, first of all. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hey, Christina. Thanks for having me on. So I think it was just, it was the winter break. It was in 2008, 2009 when this first aired. Mm-hmm. And it was winter break in law school. I just I was just randomly flipping through the channel, finding something to watch. And it was this actually this episode. That, 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 that this episode. No way, really? Very, very appropriate that, that... I'm commenting on this one. <laughs> That's kismet. And That's perfect. I know, right? And it just intrigued me. Like I was I didn't have no idea what was going on, but I was just intrigued. And I kept watching. And then luckily they had a marathon. So I caught up on the whole season before they started airing new episodes. And I just loved how smart the writing was and how it kind of kept you on your toes trying to figure out what was going on. Hmm. And I just really liked like the mystery elements of it. And that's kind of how I got into it, actually. That so, that's so I love that that was this was the episode that that I know. hooked you. So and it, it and it's perfect, like you say, like, I had no idea what was going on because it's you're dropped in the middle of all this stuff. But that's literally how the episode starts, too. in yeah. like the very tail end of a con. I think I caught the very first episode when it first aired because I'd seen the trailers and I was like, oh, this is right up my alley. I like everything mm-hmm. that this is going to do. Mm-hmm. Big shot job aired on December 30th. So right December 30th, uh, 2008. So right in the middle of of winter break mm-hmm. period of my life that three years i was in lost so <laughs> this got me through it. yeah you needed you needed yeah. something to inspire you to keep going something to live for yes <laughs> yeah so um this episode was written by amy bird who's also one of the producers it was directed again by dean devlin he directed the very first episode of the pilot and uh, then of course you have co-creators chris downey and john rogers who you always have to give a shout out to because otherwise we wouldn't have the show <laughs> and it was actually so it was the first series episode that was filmed they filmed the pilot in chicago and then there was a little uh, a gap in between before they could start filming again because there was a writer strike in hollywood and so then they picked up again and filmed this one second, but it's actually in series order. <laughs> it, you know, it lands later, obviously. Right, right. So it's, yeah, so it's supposed to be, we're already supposed to feel the the team kind of being cohesive and, cohesive and stuff, mm-hmm. which must've been really interesting when they, you yeah, know, it's the second time. And explains in the car where, when, when Carterson was like, why didn't he just go out? He was five minutes away. And, he, and Parker's looking at him like, Sophie was there, duh. Yeah, he's not and just gonna Parker leave. To Parker of all people, him. yeah, to pick up on that. So that just tells you that at this point, like maybe she's not picking up on the name Sophie at all, but she's like, okay, we're a crew, we're a team now. <clears throat> this is how we do things. We don't leave each other behind. Like at this point, they progressed enough that she's picked up on it. Yeah, so, yeah. Where in the first episode they were all like, uh, "I work alone. You're on your own." I had to corral them. Like, listen up. 
I know what all of you can do, so we're gonna do it my way. Mm-hmm. So now, oh, yeah, look, now that you mention it, and I used to read John Rogers' um, blog, and he mentions mm-hmm. a lot that for some reason the fr- TNT decided to air the first season out of the order that they originally wanted it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the character relationship developments are going to be a little jumpy and inconsistent because some of the things that are later, where they would be more cohesive, were ended up at the beginning of the season. Beginning yeah. of the season. Yeah. So I'm watching them. Um, I bought the DVDs so I can be all caught up and everything. And the DVDs have the actual order that the creators wanted it to be in. So I have to like keep checking the DVDs. <laughs> Because like, there's the first one, and then this one, and the Miracle Job. No, this one and Two Horse Job are on like the third disc. So they're supposed to be further along in kind of the arc of their relationship. And and it makes sense why McTaggart and McSweetmore at the end because Mm -hmm. you had already you're already supposed to have met them in the wedding job. Yeah, but but since we're watching it in you know TV order, we're just like, oh look at these guys. Yeah, so who are these so. random people? Whereas, if you'd seen it the way they had intended it, you would get it and you would find it fun. Yeah, I think it'll yeah. work either way. I, I love Tiger <laughs> right. between though. They're, they're great. And it's, it's funny because, like, John also, like, in the blog, just cracks up. Like, basically, Tiger and McSweet and their, their rise in the FBI is due to the crew's job, and they had no idea. Yeah, and they're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I oh, say okay. in, in my real life when anything like unexpectedly good happens, I just say, "Oh, it's rainbows and unicorns." And Taggart and Sweeten are becoming, yeah. you know, the <laughs> golden yeah, boys, the golden boys of the FBI. Like and and yeah. dropping these drug dealers in my hand, they just it just comes to me. We're just lucky. We're just that good. We're just that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, okay, let's go. Let's go through this episode. So this is the first episode, and it might be one of the only ones that starts kind of in media rest where we're in the middle, the end right. of a con. So the team's almost done with this con, swindling this corrupt judge when Nate and Sophie and the rest of the people in this bank are taken hostage in the robbery. Oh, really quick before we get into the actual plot. I yes. was I love perusing the leverage wiki. So none of this is my like actual <laughs> hard research besides clicking around in this amazing fandom wiki um but in in this episode the con that they're finishing up is a rip deal which uh according to this wiki is um a slow moving long con where the mark is slowly convinced that the operation is not a ripoff when in reality it is which we get i mean just via context with uh hardison <laughs> just complaining about like wanting to get out of this town because they this i think he, he said like we spent two weeks in this crappy motel in the middle of the desert and yeah and, like, I, and speaking of yeah i just really like that we kind of in the first shot we see that this that it's deserted it's hot it's this desert place so you're immediately okay this is where we are now in this like rural little town you see the guys in the cowboy hats and mm-hmm. like part of the planning to have seven 107 degrees now so <laughs> we know which of course parker makes worse by using the lighter to get rid yes. of that. <laughs> also i noticed throughout this this episode <laughs> the men for the most part sweat freely they're they're glistening like 
the the kid robber like his shirt is just ringed in sweat the women do not they don't glisten they don't glow they do not sweat at all sophie would sophie's... never lower herself enough to sweat <laughs> sophie is wearing Deborah, sophie's wearing a silk shirt in this <laughs> This and bank. Barbara Bush pearls, thank you. Oh my gosh, yes, that she doesn't take off when they say throw all your jewelry and watches. She's like, mm, no, these are mine. I stole them from the Tower of London. <laughs> Sophie doesn't sweat. Parker's like lighting a metal yes. trash can on fire in her lap and not sweating in a parked van in 107 degree. Now, I know you're on the East Coast, but I'm from Texas, and no, 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 you don't, that would, that would be so gross. It would be so hot in that van. And that van, there's no way it has good working AC if they had it I mean, on. Okay, like, I once visited my aunt who lives in Arizona. In June, it was 110 out. It was mm-hmm. just not out. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean. Horrible, no. horrible. Oh, I full display. It wasn't humid. It wasn't humid. It was just dry heat. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm in Houston, and it's you know, 110 in humidity sometimes. And that's, oh God. yeah, you poor thing. I know we, we developed you air conditioning really quickly here. What? I would. No, I don't. I, and I also like, I burst into flames when under the sun. So full disclosure, the first time I saw this episode and probably the second time I saw it as well, cause I rewatched the whole series a couple years ago when they were still on Netflix. I, I'm so I don't know, mad there's something about the color of the of this episode and the fact that everyone's wearing cowboy hats and it's like a one-horse town and people have these accents. I was like, oh, this is in West Texas. Or this is like down in the valley, like near the border because when Hardison and Parker are show up as FBI agents, they're like, oh yeah, we just came from over the border where we're fighting a chupacabra. Um, I was like, oh, they're definitely in Texas. And then in this one, when I rewatched it, they say that the F- the closest FBI headquarters is in San Diego and they'll be there in 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's not Texas. <laughs> There's no way you could get from San Diego to <laughs> the Valley, El Paso or whatever in 45 minutes. So I was like, oh, it's California. Okay. And then I'm, I'm watching it and I'm looking at all the background shots. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely California. <laughs> I think part of the aesthetic of the show is that they, it's always moving fast. You you don't always know what it what the, what's going on, and because you're just gonna we're just kind of thrown right in the middle of it. And again, like John and John Rogers, like when he does the Q and A's for the episodes, he's like, you don't always see what's going on. There always there are other jobs that they that we don't know about. Like so, mm-hmm. I think the fact that the part of the conceit of the show is kind of keep you guys guessing i think that's kind of what is the part of the pull of the feel of the show yeah because people want it and they want to try to figure it out and that's kind of what makes the audience get invested in the show and want to watch it because they want to figure out what's going on what's happening mm-hmm. and there's so many little things that really kind of get revealed to you on rewatch so it's definitely a show that you get a lot of returns on because if you have the dvds like every time you watch it you're gonna see something new because I literally, right. yesterday and the day before, watched it. I've watched it three times over the last couple of days. Because I'm a nerd. But. Like, I'm watching it and I'm just realizing Nate is wearing black and white. 
like so it's he's in the gray like is he a good guy is he a bad guy you know i love and, that i saw your notes about that and i was like oh that's such great like and then like, what a good and remember like in the pile in the nigerian job sophie's like white black white knight black king or whatever it was something like yeah, that so like yeah. pay attention to it and like you get it stuff it makes sense it pulls together definitely you know and and i think so, i wonder yeah. um because they don't mention it in the the commentary but it's the same director from the the pilot i wonder if that had something to do i don't, I don't know if he like made any decisions via their their costume and i mean sophie's wearing black and white as well which kind of yeah and i think yeah. they're really the only people in the mm -hmm. in the bank who kind of have that matching color scheme going yeah. on but yeah, yeah all was, right like, so yeah. let's go back into the bank and talk about what's going on in there so we have our corrupt judge who's played by michael o'neill or better known ron as butterfield. <laughs> yes secret service agent ron butterfield from the west wing he's also one of those that guy like oh he's that guy who's just in everything he like played a priest in days of our lives he he's, will always be ron butterfield he's to me. he's 100 ron butterfield He's got um, skills of playing the bad guy because apparently I think he, he played this mass shooter on Grey's Anatomy at one point. Oh, he yeah. did? So that's I like, but so. it's very much not his kind of what he's usually cast as. It's usually cast as like the gruff good guy who like you want to trust. Pastor, yeah. Stoic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you can tell that he really, really just like reveled in being the worst, just like this horrible scumbag. Which right, is funny like because the, yeah. the last episode we watched had D.B. Sweeney in it in the Miracle Job, and he was excited to play a good guy because he'd been playing. Topic. Pick. Yes. Topic. Uh, I, mean, I just liked. I just liked that within thirty seconds you knew who that who Judge Roy was. You knew he mm -hmm. was the bad guy, and you yeah. knew you were already rooting for the team to take this down. I mean, like, would he slap that? Like. Oh my God. Teller's butt and then made that crack about a younger sister when the guy told him he was 19. I was like, oh my god, gross, especially in this era of Me Too. I'm like, that's oh, yeah. so gross. So yeah. gross. And that would not fly today. There's so many fly. things on this show that that they put in that you know were on people's radar, but nobody I feel like people weren't saying as much. And it's like like that kind of thing, like making that Obviously, this guy is the worst because he just did that to this woman, was told not to do that, and that that's gross and yeah. made it worse. But somehow, like, it's okay because we know the team is going to fix it and we're, oh, yeah. we're going to make him pay. And so it's, just like, it's not that it's okay, but he, he's not going to get away with it. Like, yeah, not for it much longer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, and just like and Nate's like, face, like, he just stops when he does it and he's just like controlling. This oh the disgust but you can still it like bleeds there and you can see it kind of like oh like we really gotta kneel this guy we yeah really gotta this guy yeah yeah meanwhile like we said hardison and parker are outside in the van and he's complaining about the length of time <laughs> they've spent in this small desert town and, and he makes like, the very parker has no problems with stealing but she draws the line at illegal downloading. Illegal downloading. But this is the very first Doctor Who reference that we get. And we get a lot of Doctor Who references throughout Leverage. And I remember the first time I heard this one, I was like, oh, 
what? <laughs> There's like an event <laughs> diagram going on here and I'm in the middle and I'm so happy. Uh, and then we get, there's so many, I can't wait to point them out as we get to other ones, but I was like, yes, Hardison, I, I would feel for you. <laughs> Downloading is illegal. But at that point, I don't, yeah. yeah. did we have, I think they were airing them here then. Um, cause for a while BBC didn't get their act together and start concurrently airing Doctor Who in the United States. So you had to, if you wanted to be up to date, you had to illegally them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not speaking from experience at all. No. No. And we would never condone illegal behavior. No. Ever. Ever. No. I mean, no. So anyways. Not that I would it. ever do that. Not that no. I have ever done anything like that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. That would be wrong. <laughs> you went to law school. You would never do that. Never. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyways, Elliot. Meanwhile, is loading up all of these props from whatever front they were using uh, to trick and yeah. <laughs> judge Ron Butterfield. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what, we, that's what we should call him, Judge Butterfield, Judge Ron. Judge yeah, Ron Butterfield. Roy. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, is, is Roy his first name? Is Roy his last name? Yeah. They, he's just yeah, Judge Ron. Yeah. But yeah, Judge Ron Butterfield. Judge Evil yeah. Ron Butterfield. I never get an explanation of why there was that Native American statue. <laughs> Of a. <laughs> I mean, I, it kind of makes sense. Like you see Nate's getup, and like you hear his accent, and but like the bales of hay, I love that. There's just some things you're never gonna get an explanation for. You just have to accept it and move on. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the giant rat of Sumatra, which is a a case, a Sherlock Holmes case that John Watson mentions that we never get to hear about. Um, and there's a couple of those and people are like, but what is the giant rat of Sumatra? Anyways, I could do a whole other podcast on Sherlock Holmes, but, oh, and then it goes back to the bank and Nate has gotten all the money in the briefcase from Judge Evil Ron Butterfield and they're walking out, but something pings in his radar in his Nate's spidey sense is what I was calling it in my head. And he like yeah. slowly turns around and then you get that like, like kind of cool, like slow motion pan around the room. And right. Sophie's like, what are you doing? Get out, get out. And then yeah. you see the, the security guard notice that the teller looks a little nervous and he sees something up on the counter and he goes over yeah. and the bank's being robbed. <laughs> Like, like Elliot says, I knew this was too easy. Yeah. And this made me think about what John has said on the block. He said, okay, we have the super team here. This is literally the best of the best. Mm -hmm. So if we just, um, I, I know you and Ada have talked about, like, part of the appeal of the show is the competence porn aspect. Yeah. We do watch people be good at doing what they do. Mm -hmm. So if we just watch them do that, like, it's going to be kind of boring because they're just going to win. So yeah. John like talks about like so in the writers room they have to think about so what obstacles can we throw in their way to make a challenge to make it hard that much harder for them like mm -hmm. he's talking about like what twists like well how do we constrain them in time and space like to such a way where we know they're gonna win but there has to be a moment where you think 
maybe just maybe they can't they're not gonna quite pull it off this time so yeah like you know the fact that like the fact that this robbery comes out of nowhere and the fact that the real fbi is on the way and they get shot and, and there are meth heads that have to be paid off and, yeah so, like all this stuff is happening so that that like you know so we up the stakes and add the tension like mm. like how, how, what makes this that much make it that much harder and make almost like make them earn the win in a way yes you know? exactly which is if these characters weren't challenged, they wouldn't also grow <laughs> as characters, which is another big part of this episode. But they were saying in the commentary that Dean Devlin was inspired by John Rogers saying that you knew a show had jumped the shark when they did their hostage episode. <laughs> so they were like, well, let's just do it right off the bat. Let's get just it over with. Yeah, and then, you know, and, but then they like make it their own because they're running a con within the hostage situation and then and then they have to break into the bank it's just because there's so many layers because they exactly and oh. the, and the added that you know like john kind of refers to nate and sophie almost as the parents and elliot parker and hardison as like the kids and mm -hmm. the kids are the ones on the outside who are going to have to be running this thing because like nate and sophie are kind of just trapped in the bank yeah so in a way this a lot one of the few times where they kind of really been separated and the kids kind of have to step up step it up a notch and and, and kind of do what they do to, to fix the situation mm. i mean yeah they, and they, then not only are they separate they, they lose yeah. their communication as well exactly because of that because of judge ron butterfield <laughs> judge ron butterfield, butterfield. <laughs> <laughs> and i love that but it starts because they They've got to get out of there. Nate tells them they, they need to leave. <laughs> I love Hardison, the first kind of, maybe the first fourth of the episode, he's just like, what? What's going on? And Parker's like, um, obviously we can't sit here in this unmarked van idling across from the bank that's being robbed. We need to go. And he's like, oh. And then they peel out. But they were saying in the commentary that Aldous Hodge who I love, I love Aldous so much. He could not he's drive a stick. Yeah, he is. He couldn't, he couldn't drive a stick shift, which is what this van was. And so they're like, all right, peel out. And he's like, like grinding. The I think he's like, don't give Aldous enough credit. Like that kid is was 21, 22 when he was doing yes. starting off his And he was give like the props. Oh my gosh, yes. And and he's like I think he's the one who made them all realize after you call cut, like don't stop filming because they're gonna put like what they said, they, they'll put a button on the scene. Like they just keep riffing and like his whole thing, like the geek power thing is was just <laughs> ad-libbed. Oh, and it's become like that, the anthem on the internet. And that's, if you and like- the, look And the Chupacabra bit, like, Chupacabra bit, like, which is kind of like the clue like one of those things like they kind of do where it just shows like Hardison is horrible on the con because he just goes oh like he just takes it too far over the top I know it and was to me that was an X-Files reference like just oh we're FBI agents investigating the paranormal like uh and like and him having a meltdown when like <laughs> the book got a good man killed I Sorry. mean, and I just love that. Like, these are just little nuggets and you see that he's just not good on the con and it comes back to bite them in the future when, you know. 
I think I, I disagree. He's so bad, he's good at the con, I think. Because like, these like podunk <laughs> sheriff and deputy, they just, they, they just eat it up. And Parker's bad at the con too. Um, this is true. But I don't know, they're just Let's so see. weird. And they're just like overawed that there are FBI agents there that they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, and the, and, and, the look, and the look on their face is when like, okay, so where's your tactical guide? And then, well, we don't really have one, but that guy Virgil's a hell of a shot. And then look up and see Virgil. And look at speaking of each other and like, seriously? <laughs> oh, Virgil. And I just, it might all be in my head and just looking for symbolism and references, but I swear that the Chupacabra thing is a nod to the X-Files. The Virgil thing has to be a nod to the Earp brothers, um, like Wyatt Earp, because his older brother was named Virgil and Tombstone. And this is, they they admit like this is their Western episode and we get- uh, Joe loves their pop culture nods. So yeah. like, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and their, their um, FBI agent names are Elmore and Leonard. Which, oh, Elmore like, the, Leonard? Yeah, Elmore Leonard, the writer. Um, he writes like a lot of Westerns. He wrote the the series or the st short stories that the show Justified was based on. Ah. So yeah, Raylan Givens, and he gave Batman to us. Which is Joe, yeah, has a continuing riff where they call like safes and security systems like Len Readers, which is two of the writers in the writer's room. Yes. So, yeah, oh, that's, I didn't notice that. Um. They make several uh, Dukes of Hazard references in this one. They call Judge Ron Butterfield uh, Boss Hog. And yeah. there's one other one that I missed, or that I can't remember. Where Parker was just riffing up. It was, but who robs a bank without an exit plan? 42 seconds. Like, that was yes. like, that's, that's another reference. Like, that's a Hitchhiker's Guide reference, I swear. She's like, 42 seconds, you get in, you can get out. Yeah, I love the, like, um, because they're so competent, the, like, the judgment they have for other people. Offended by the incompetence. Yes. Like, he was almost viscerally offended. <laughs> She's like, let me show you how it's done. Yeah, I love that. Part of the conceit of having the earphones is that you have to figure out ways for the characters to talk to each other without it being super obvious <laughs> to everybody else and there's so like many when, times yeah, in, in episodes yeah. where they're like just standing there like touching their ear and talking and i'm like people can see you but this one was particularly hilarious uh or like when elliot just barges onto the yes. scene and he just like he's ignoring the deputy <laughs> and he's like directly talking to me <laughs> He's like, do you need me like, in there? Like, I'm not even talking to you, like, boss. Like, what's going on? You need me in there? Yeah, and then he's like, all right, you're the boss. And he's like, thank you. <laughs> that's and sweet. That's, that's sweet thing. little deputy's face. I know, and you can see, like, I think you could get a little taste of, like, Elliot's background, like, the chain of command. Like, mm -hmm. you know, okay, I got a, an order from my CEO. I'm not going in. We're going to hang back and see what's what. That's, you know? yeah. And then, He's a good yeah. boy, that Elliot. I know. And in terms of the confidence porn aspect, when, when Nate was calling the Audible, like, okay, I think we need to go try to find the guy and kind of find out more of these people. And Harda seems like on it. Like, I found the dad on the spank thing. And then Elliot's like two steps ahead of you. We're already trying to find the mom. So, it's mm -hmm. like, like you said, like, this is further down the season. So they're really gelling as a group. Like, they, they got, you know. 
Yeah, they're not arguing about who needs to go do what. They're just like, all right, I got this, I got it's this. Well oiled machine at this point. Yeah, and we yeah. get to see Elliot like be like do detective work, which is fascinating. You know, he like he's like, oh, this house is broken he into, and someone was skills. here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And like the last episode, Elliot didn't do anything. Like he did like some things, but he didn't get to beat the crap out of anybody except for one guy. No, that was Hardison, the gang member. <laughs> but yeah, like he he might have hit one person. But... Nobody has to hit the injured. That's Hardison's niche. <laughs> That's his niche. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so we find out Hardison IDs the main robber as ex-military, but has no priors or anything, nothing to lead them to believe that he would be prone to robbing a bank at a moment's notice. And I think like the crew could tell immediately, like something's up with these two. This is not some hardened bank robbers. Like yeah. something's going on. They're they're nervous. They're jittery. They they don't fit the profile of some hardened criminals. The kids holding so... the gun all wrong. <laughs> Trigger discipline. <laughs> yeah. So um, they notice he's recently emptied out his bank account, which is even more suspicious. I love yeah. Sophie pretending to be the bank manager to get the the, the older robber on his own. And the, the real bank manager is like, if she wants to do it, just let her go, let her risk her life. I mean, and I think in a way it's kind of interesting. You can see how her grifting background comes into play when, when they're, they're she's trying to talk to the i think it was i don't remember he was talking to the dad or the son and she's she talking, talking to the, the yeah she's talking to the dad derek and yeah. nate's and talking to michael kind of like, she's she's <laughs> reading him and trying to figure out what's going on with him and trying to establish a rapport and a connection so like so which is kind of interesting because a con con artist or good con artist or as good a reader, a psychologist, and things mm -hmm. like that, like a good psychologist, like they can read human behavior and cues and things like that almost better than anyone. Yeah. So you know, so and then that moment when she's like, when she drops the accent. <laughs> yeah, and then she has friends, like I have friends on the outside. Like we can get the cops involved, and she's like, cops. I'm a thief. Like we're not gonna call the cops. I love I love his reaction. He's like, I don't know, I don't know how to take this. <laughs> his, his, he was really good. That actor, he was just like, yeah, you're a what? And Sophie's basically, oh, you sweet summer child. Oh, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah, no, we'll help you. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, like who? What is? What's her line that she has? That's so good there. Like, yeah, she's like, you know, you can't be, your beggars can't be choosers. Like, you're robbing a bank right now. Um, yeah. And then, and then Nate's doing the same thing with Michael. And I think, uh, he's yeah. using, he's like, he's basically a profiler. He just. I think he's just trying to keep the kid calm, de-escalate the situation. Yeah. Where and he, the judge Rob Butterfield, like, kind of just swaggers in and thinks like he can just, but he just screws up the whole deal and makes things worse. Yeah. So Nate hears michael the the younger robber who on the phone begging someone not to hurt her so then he goes and he finds out that they've well we don't get too much backstory on michael and obviously there are not a lot of opportunities for a young man to to make some spending money in juan california so he yeah. uh he got you know involved I mean, with meth dealers courier for the cartels is a bit of a jump though i, I mean, know 7-Eleven or something? 
I don't know. I mean, they can't even afford to get a new roof of the bank, so... I mean, they're, but they're the really thing trying. about it is the interior, the architecture of the bank is like, see, like, was really nice, I felt like. It was beautiful. Like, really old-fashioned. Yeah. It was like, restore historic Juan. They had that in the background because the the bank that they used in Pasadena, California, was actually, it was like the lobby of a, a building that had been turned into like residential places. So there was somebody above them like walking around in his apartment. <laughs> you could hear it on the sound. But then there was something up with the, the ceiling there. So they were like, well, we'll just write this into the script. <laughs> it would not be my first choice for an after school job, but Michael has gotten in uh, as a courier and then a drug runner for some meth heads, which is just not an ideal career path for anybody. And a shipment of drugs go missing and they blame Michael and they, kind of issue an ultimatum, give us our drugs back or get us $100,000. I really believe even if they had come up with that money, he wouldn't have been, the whole family wouldn't have been dead anyway because that's just really how the cartels rule. Like, yeah. real and real. they would have been dead anyway. Yeah. Even if they had, even if quote unquote, they didn't gone to plan and, and Derek and Michael had gotten the money, they still yeah. would have been dead. Oh yeah. That they got the only happy ending they could have possibly gotten in this situation. Yeah. They were wrong. Like, bank robbing is wrong, but there are extenuating circumstances here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Again, but comes in, they're, they're guardian angels. They they really are. They are. They're so good. Anyways, um, I really love, like, this scene because uh, you see Nate start to get Michael's trust and confidence and and we've just switched over from Sophie trying to get Derek's and he when we when we cut away from them Derek's not quite on board yet he's still like I you're a thief how can I trust you and then we see Michael and Nate and then it all of a sudden Derek is showing back up and he's like throwing Sophie on the ground saying you know you lied you don't know how to get into the safe and he's angry and so you're like oh gosh it didn't work um and he makes them all go get on the other side of the, the room or whatever um but then nate and derek had this kind of moment where they you see them like slightly nod at each other and indicates the the briefcase full of money that's hiding under a desk which is the briefcase full of money that nate got from judge evil ron butterfield before the delgado family which mm -hmm. and it all kind of ties together so, who um, was murdered by a meth dealer that Judge Ron Butterfield let out of prison. Because he was bribed accordingly. Yes. So it, yeah, it's all circular. It's just basically the meth dealers and Judge Ron Butterfield need to be dealt with. Go down and hard. Yeah. yeah. Which we can, we can make happen, <laughs> says Team Leverage. So they, the problem is that all of the money to pay off the meth dealers to get the mom back is inside the bank that is being robbed and being watched by the police and our two intrepid FBI agents. And the real FBI, which are en route in about 45 minutes. Yeah. So Parker has to break into a bank that's already being robbed. And if yeah. there is any way to get Parker more excited about a job than to <laughs> give her a challenge like that, I haven't seen you it. see her light up. Oh, and yeah. You have to rob the bank that's being robbed. <laughs> and it's just like, hmm, 
just like an unholy gleam in her eyes. It's like, oh. Challenge Exactly. Oh, yeah, and they turn the air conditioning off in the bank, which is just horrible. So horrible. Oh, oh, and before she breaks in, during the talk with uh, Nate and Michael, Nate's like, oh, we can get the money to the, the drug dealers. And Michael's like, we can't. We don't, there's not enough money. We can't get into the safe. And, he, and Nate says, we have an alternate revenue source. Which is... Which, which ties is the back, thing. Which ties back to the to the Nigerian job. Like, yes. Fuck yeah. off alternative revenue stream. Like, oh, yes. So great. I love these little Easter eggs for like mm-hmm. the diehard fans. Yes. I love a callback. And, I love a callback. Exactly. And yeah. I love that. Like when Parker first sneaks in, like she she has that moment with with Derek the dad, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Please, this is my wife." Like. And, 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 and for, I think for Parker, she seems art. It's all very detached. Mm-hmm. So now you like, there's a human factor here. Like, what I do, I need to save this man's wife. This matters. It matters now to her. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and you can see her now. It's starting to have feelings. She doesn't like it. She's not she... quite sure what to do with all of them. But yeah, she's getting them, and she. Her look, like, first when he comes in, she's just, like, kind of bored, just, like, sitting in this little chute. Oh, and good. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah, and he's like, that's a lot of money, and it, you know, it's going to save my wife. And she's like, uh, I know. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I'm trusting you. And she says, uh, some guy, sometimes, sometimes bad guys are the only good guys you get, which becomes the, like, kind of the overarching catch line for the whole show is like sometimes bad guys are the best good guys and i love that parker gets to say it she's so good to get into the bank she's got to figure out how to get in there so she kind of profiles the bank and says it was built pre-1980 before computers so there is a larger than normal um night return box for yeah for for the ledgers from different businesses when they would turn in their nightly uh, halls, which is not a thing, and and is like an ongoing kind of joke in the in the writers' room with like things that are real that they that they use and things that they make up that just seem real. And so it's the ledger um, slash black or orange box because of course the the black box in uh, an airplane is not actually black; it's orange. So people can find it, right? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't necessarily something I bumped up against. Like to me, it made sense. Okay, sometimes businesses like are open later, and they need a place to do overnight deposits. They'll get processed the next day when the bank opens for business. But that made sense to me, mm-hmm. so I didn't necessarily bump up against. Yeah. That. No, and I and I think that the writers really love that too when they can kind of put something in that isn't real but makes sense like it's that's totally logical to me and if i didn't listen to commentary or do research on this show i would never question it because there's so many things on this show that you do question that are real so like the like the rfid scanners like that stuff's real there's um they actually have had to make things bigger and bulkier so that they play well on yeah. camera when in real life they're smaller and even easier to hide. John has said that like 
like, listen, the inspirations for these crimes, like, we've had to take it down a few notches. Like, yeah. you really want to leave the evil levels of evil of the real story. <laughs> so Parker's going to sneak in through this overnight ledger shoot thing but it is in full view of all of the police officers and the the bystanders who are watching so hardison gets to distract people and he's so beautiful and so good at as it. only hardison can talk about like <laughs> and like some pony there may have been a pony involved I so he, he gets the like the world's shortest ransom phone call like it's literally like 10 seconds long. And then he's like, okay, they want 12 pizzas. They, and he's like listing them all off, then pauses. And he's like, is no one gonna write this down? And then he's like, they want three copies of the new Hall & Oates CD, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is apparently a call, like a shout out to the writer's parents who are really big Hall & Oates fans. And then, and then later he's like, oh no, you gotta stay. We're gonna talk about Hall & Oates. Hall and Oates references, yes, yes, throughout the series, yes, 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 yes. So good, makes me want to listen to more Hall and Oates. Um, yeah, he's like, they want your overalls, I don't know why, but, and and everybody, I loved kind of watching because- talking about when I say Harrison is bad at calling, like, that, that was ridiculous, it is, it's over the top, it makes no sense. But nobody questioned it. So that makes him good, right? If so let's see. Oh, I have here some other callbacks. We had the alternate revenue source. Parker is picking the the handcuff locks as they're waiting for something to happen just to keep her hands busy, which she does a lot. Because you'll see her like working on like deadbolts and yeah. padlocks and things like that. And then um, of course in a few minutes, we a few minutes after this scene, we see Elliot emptying the bullets from a gun because Elliot doesn't like guns. No. I just love that line. It smells like Frank screams like a girl. <laughs> they said when the guy was auditioning for that, he had the best girly scream ever. It was I so mean, good. And there's just something about Christian Kane because after he disposes of the guys and he like takes off the mom's gag and stuff, he's like, man, we'd be the cavalry. Like there's just that yes. charm to Christian Kane. Like, yeah, nobody else could have said that. And like it, Cause she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, like anybody else says it, it's completely hokey. Yeah. But Christian, like, he's he's he just sighing and swoon. Yes, the cowboy to arrest me, whisk me away. <laughs> or you know, take me to my children, my my son and my husband. I guess. Before they do something stupid. Yeah. I love that she butts thrown in. So she, that lady gets like one and a half lines, but I love that she was trying to escape. Like she's like, has her hands and her feet bound in her, she's gagged and she tries to get out of this car and run away from these three violent meth heads who have guns. And, and I'm just like, what a, what an awesome lady. No, and then it looked like she was getting kicked and like I was like raising his hand. I was like, oh, he was like, going to hit her with that gun. Crazy for it. Mm. But then yeah, deus ex machina. Elliot's there. Elliot's on the case. They're gonna be okay. And when he um, when he's fighting them, and the one guy keeps trying to get out of the car, and he just kicks the car. He's like, "Stay in the car." I told you to stay inside. What did I tell you? Why didn't you listen to me? So good. And then the guy's just like, <laughs> crawling. And away. he just whispers and just like, and like he just runs away. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> 
powers away. I mean, and props to Christian Kane. Apparently, he worked really hard on those scenes, and you yeah. know, oh. yeah, he's so good. All right, and then we get get back into the bank where the judge, Judge Evil Ron Butterfield, is once again trying to kind of work something out with the bank robbers. And he, he's like, oh, you need money? I've got money. It's right over here. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And his, his briefcase is gone. And then they and get then the phone call from the meth dealers. And it distracts Michael enough that Evil Ron Butterfield can uh, grab the gun. And then you start to see him unraveling. Yeah. Yes, because he shoots Nate. And I'm I'm just glad that it was Nate and not any of the innocent people. Like, I didn't want Nate to get shot, but it would have been horrible if it had been, like, the security guard or something. And and it also would not have added to the story at all if it had been somebody else. I but, feel like it, it was telling that Sophie broke character. Yes. And it was immediately right when I said Nate. Like, it, I think that was very telling. Oh, yeah. And then we get... I love the little scenes between Nate and Sophie. And we get them, we're really lucky that we get them a lot. They're really good about that. But, you know, she's like, you could have left. Like, I would have been fine. I don't need you. I I got along fine without you. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. Like, like subtext it and such yeah. great acting. And she, like, her eyes are just, like, so red because she was crying so hard. And, uh And you can tell she was just trying to keep herself together. Yeah. Basically. Like by ranting and trying to, yeah, like, you know, some people, that's, you know, it's a different way to people react to stress. Some people just like cry, they break down, and some people try to, some people kind of get angry and mm-hmm. lash out. So Sophie's more on that end of the spectrum. So yeah. I'm to keep it together. That's cool because that's actual Sophie reaction, that's not cool. Sophie playing a character reaction. Because Which is usually, we don't yeah. see it during a job, you know. We kind of see it when they're on their own, but not not on the job. Sophie's like unbreakable on the job usually. Mm-hmm. Like like he says in the Nigerian job, like she's the best actress you've ever seen when she's you know she's on a con. And yeah. Now, like that that's telling. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love being Sophie. Oh, the scene when. Nate is reassuring Derek that his team is gonna gonna help them out because they have to do this on their own now that they've lost communication with Nate and Sophie. But he says, you know, is your team good? And he says, they're the best. Dean Devlin, when they were filming that scene right before uh, Timothy Hutton answers, he like whispered in his ear, how's your boy in Paris? And uh, Timothy Hutton's son, I, Milo, I guess, lives in Paris or something. So when he was responding and saying he's the best, he was thinking of his son. And so you really like see that in his eyes. He's just like, the best. And you're just like, Rosie loves them. He really loves his kid, <laughs> but it really worked. It did, it did. So Nate and Sophie's earpieces have been smashed by evil Judge Horton Butterfield. Sophie was like, she almost like threw her earbud at him. Oh, she looked like, you know, like if looks could kill, she just like takes it out and just like gives it to him. And yeah. Like, I mean, he, of, yeah, her way basically yeah. gave Judge Ron Butterfield the middle fingers. <laughs> exactly. And he is slowly starting to unravel here and not very slowly actually at all. But, you know, he's 
believes that all four of them are in on this together and that there are people on the outside and he won't believe them that the robbers it was just the wrong place at the wrong time yeah like i mean i i'd like again kudos to michael o'neill's acting because beginning he just walks in there like he's like this is my town i'm the shit i'm the judge i can this like he tells Dinkin, this is my town what i say goes yeah and then now and like they got in his head and he is like a paranoid mess now which is what they needed at the end you know, they do this a lot movie. on leverage and i love it every time they make somebody like go crazy it mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> those are the best <laughs> ones oh he even says something about i think it's when sophie's like just let them take nate he's been shot so he can go away and he's like and give up my leverage <laughs> and then nate nate and sophie like look at each other <laughs> yes that's so good and then so finally the pizzas arrive hardison's been hard at work on doing something on the computer and hardison brings in the pizza and shows judge evil ron butterfield that the pizza box is full of his cash but then turns it around and is like okay now we gave you what you wanted like let's end this peacefully and like gets down on the ground with his hands behind his head and the, I think it's the cue to the aliens. Okay, the twist is coming. It's about to go down now. Like, like pay attention, people. Like, it's happening. Oh yeah, and um, the the police swarm in and try to arrest Evil Judge Ron, Judge Ron Butterfield, and he's like, "Why are you putting handcuffs on me? You you know you work for me." And the deputies are like, "I don't even know what to do." I just think like. <laughs> In a way, the way it gets gets taken out, it was almost like I I I I think in the commentaries that John and the Bunker said Dean Devlin insists that every villain must be taken down by their own sin. So it just mm-hmm. made me think about the line at the beginning of the show when he's like, "Listen," when we was trying to talk to the two guys, like, "Listen, I'm in charge of this town. I can just make this go away. Whatever I story I tell, these people are just going to agree." Mm-hmm. And then it turns around that the story the crew comes up with. That's what the story that the other bank employees take, like you know. So yeah. he's got alibis, and and in a way, it's almost like only being taken down. And you, and the bank employees, see, he's nothing but a coward. So like, and he doesn't the courage to stand up. And mm-hmm. and the guy, and the, and the guy, poor guy, like Fred or Frank, I got Frank. like so. <laughs> yeah. My name is Frank. And yeah. It's almost like that straw that broke the camel's back. Oh and yeah. He made eye- other employees and he's like and it happened exactly the way they said yeah and he's like yeah, screw you judge judge evil ron butterfield yes i love that like and if you know if he hadn't said fred if he had said frank and made the effort to actually remember his name it might have gone a different way but yeah you don't have to worry about that with evil Ru- judge ron butterfield because he's gonna he's gonna be a and jerk to the, the end, end the sheriff was like like and then Judge Evil Ron Butterfield like, come on, this story is ridiculous. You can't believe you know me. You possibly can't possibly believe this is real. And the sheriff's like, that's the problem, Roy. I do know you. Yeah. The fact I, that he probably believed he was capable of being of this level of evil and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I found crystal meth in your briefcase. That it's gotta that kinda that makes tracks. sense actually. That, that, yeah. That Exactly. Oh, and then he's like, there's, you know, camera footage that'll prove that I didn't do it. And Hardison's like, oh, 
this footage that clearly shows that you were walked in with a hostage and you're you know doing all this stuff and the, the sheriff's like well they got you on the tv and everything <laughs> because everything you see on tv is true and evil just run from butterfield like well they must have doctored it somehow you idiot like even at the end he can't help but be a jerk he's yeah still, he is who he is and yeah you know. and, and that all feeds into the hardison just implying like oh you know this is that's a symptom of being a crystal meth addict like yeah the paranoid delusions and michael o'neill did this thing where towards the end when he was losing it you can see he's got this like twitch in his in one of his eyes and so it's just like basically he's also acting crazy <laughs> just so good and he tries to say no look these are the people who who actually did it and he pulls these baseball caps off these kids these people and it is not Derek and Michael anymore. It's it's Elliot and Parker. Because they've come in, they were the paramedics to get Nate out and they've switched clothes with, I'm guessing just shirts with Derek and Michael. And so they are now the paramedics. But I, like every time I watch it and like Parker's wearing that sweaty t-shirt, I'm just like, gross. <laughs> you can see the sweat stain. It's, it's like, so it's gross. <laughs> Uh, and it's like cold, like, uh, oh, no. <laughs> so much, like on a visceral, visceral level. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, if that was a different shirt. I mean, obviously it was a different shirt, but if that they just like so. kind of stained it and it's not actually wet, I'm just like, please don't do that to poor Beth. Who's I mean, she doesn't deserve it. Was, that. Like the aroma could not have been pleasant. Like it no, was no. Bleh. So yeah, so Nate is taken out with his new paramedics who don't know what they're doing, but have now escaped the law. And their mom is the one who's driving the ambulance. And they're all they're all reunited and it's so sweet. But Nate's like, can we save the the reunion oh, until the morphine drop? And then Elliot, I think Ellie was the one dressing the wound, right? So yeah. Had, yeah, like, at the, the very end, he's like, suturing it or whatever st stitching it up and he's like you act like you've never been shot before and then uh nate and sophie share a little look because of course he has been shot before by sophie exactly which is another callback to the first episode that i didn't even pick up on so nice yeah. cat yeah and then it's really sweet because sophie praises parker for her work in the con she's like turns out when i'm yelling at people i can i can trick them <laughs> Which is so cute. And then, like, you know, Hardison's like, oh, I know that you could have done better than the pizza boxes. And Nate's like, no, I don't think I could have. Like, I don't, that was a great job. It's just like, the, like that is a huge compliment in Nathan Ford. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's, I don't know if there's much better that than that. That was a useless phrase from Nathan Ford. Like. <laughs> yes. And I just really like that moment because throughout the series, you kind of see. Sophie trying to work with Parker on her social skills. Mm -hmm. Like, this is how normal people behave. Yeah. We well, that and like training her to be a better grifter as well. Yeah. And and Nate is, you know, training and grooming Hardison, like from the get-go almost, to be the mastermind. But you definitely see like in the second episode that they aired, because Nate and 
Hardison have been hanging out this whole time that everybody else has been off doing whatever they were doing. Right, and, right. and Nate and, and Hardison have been setting up leverage. Um, leverage. Yeah, which is, those are the webisodes. Like, I want like a mini show, mini series about like the hijinks that Hardison got up to and Nate just like drinking in a corner and just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Right, and then Hardis is setting up like the company files, and then Parker being excited. Oh, I won the snack race at the company picnic. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Like you know, he had so much fun doing that, like painting the portrait. Oh, Nate. Oh, bless old Nate. <laughs> Harlan Leverage. Do you not remember? Like I was so. No spoilers, but I was very. I like that we continue to see. We continually see old Nate. That old Nate is yes. okay. Yes. Yes. No spoilers, but yes, I agree. Um, that was definitely something that I was concerned about at one point. <laughs> you know what point I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, okay, and then at the end, we see Taggart and McSweeten uh, pull up and and just be like, don't question it. Just just take the take the win. Take the win. And then try to be cool and put on their sunglasses. <laughs> We're just that good. Like, oh my god. So which one is Taggart and which one is McSweeten? Because I haven't rewatched The Wedding Job recently. I believe Gerald McDowney is McSweeten. So the guy with the mustache is Taggart. Okay. Okay, yeah. the older guy is Taggart and the, the young well, one. Okay, the, is McSweeten. The older gentleman is Taggart and then the taller guy is McSweeten. Okay, because he's McSweeten on Parker later. Yeah. Yes! There we go. That'll be. <laughs> that's the mnemonic <laughs> device. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Love it. Well, and that's the that's the whole episode. Yes. Your last thoughts on it. I was thinking about the fact that this was like in 2008, 2009. Yeah, so 2008. This, I, forgive me if you and Adele and others have already talked about this, but it just made me think about the fact that this was like with Enron and Lehman Brothers and AIG and all that stuff was going down. And mm -hmm. it seemed like all these guys were just outright bending or breaking the rules and they just kind of got away with it yeah and maybe that like in in that like some of the actors and in interviews and stuff like through this show we see those types of guys get what's coming to them in the yeah. real world maybe they don't these consequences but mm -hmm. in our world we can make them pay because like you know that was kind of a dark time like mm -hmm. a lot of people are hurting because of these actions of these guys and like they seem to get away with it and maybe yeah. it's part of maybe the appeal of the show was something to believe in. Maybe evil doesn't win. Maybe good something to believe that maybe good will win out in the end. You know? Yeah, and so. I think I 100% agree with you. And we didn't, yeah, we didn't talk about um, like the big names like Enron and stuff like that and AIG. But it, and it's horrible because it's always like I feel like it's always the thing. So 2008, that was like you know the housing bubble. Um, and everything and it, it's part of why it's such a rewarding show to rewatch because right now in the middle of the Me Too movement in the middle of everything that's happening politically it still resonates in that exact way that you were saying there seems to be so many people who get away with horrible horrible things and there are no repercussions and this show gives us some of that like come up and some of that revenge some of that just retribution and like that you know mm -hmm. I, the the one episode where the character says you know the best 
investment a company can make is buying a U.S. senator. God. And you're just like, then, yeah. Just like, you know, I'm a thief and even I find that disturbing. Yeah. Like that, I just threw up in my mouth a little. And that's so true. And then, and even in that, they were, um, they had written that episode right before um, a bunch of stuff had come out about uh, politicians being paid off in different ways. And, yeah. but they had been researching it and they had to, oh, they, they were saying oh, things like we were talking about earlier. They had come up with, uh, oh, they got all these, this free contract work on this guy's fancy house and everything. But then when all of this other stuff was revealed, it was so much worse than the fictional thing that they had written. Yeah. That they were like, well, what's the worst thing? Like, what's the, like, blah, you know? And then everything came out that was, like, yeah. exponentially worse. I mean, just legally speaking, white-collar crimes are grossly, oh, their sentences are grossly disproportionate to the harm they do. Mm -hmm. You know, like, just like you said, like, with the Enron and those guys, like, how many people, like, their lives were affected? They lost their homes, their savings. Yeah. And those guys barely got a slap on the wrist. Whereas, you know, a guy who sells pot and gets cut goes to jail forever. Grams of cocaine, they're in jail for 20 years. Yeah. There's something wrong. Like, there's a disconnect there. You know? I know. And if, and that, for some reason, I'm like, it's Jean Valjean. Like, he stole bread <laughs> for his sister's son. And, and, you know, now he's a number for the rest of his life. Two four six zero oh, one. <laughs> Thanks. That's gonna be in my head the rest of the week. But I wrote it up, so it's my fault. But yeah, no, and I think that's that is the beauty of leverage is that it kind of gives a it's little like bit of yeah, it's wish fulfillment. Yeah, a little bit of closure that we don't get in real life. But I wish we got yeah. a little bit more. I loved your symbolism thing with it, the white and the black hat. That's just that was so perfect. I think I covered the Twitch, the pizza, Partisan just being the best. Oh, so there was, okay, so in the commentary they mentioned, and we kind of talked about it, that when Nate and Sophie are kind of disconnected from everybody because they've lost their um, ability to communicate, it's all on the kids, basically, because mom and dad are incommunicado. And it's supposed to, like, be difficult for them to do this on their own and that that is the only place that i think this episode falls down because i don't think that there was a moment where hardison uh parker and elliot were like oh gosh we can't get in touch with them what do we do like they just immediately like picked it up and kept going they're problem solving yeah they were you know they were like does that does that mean what i think it meant when you know they get the the sound in their ears and then they're just like all right let's do this um and i don't know if we were supposed to get some sort of like insecure feelings from them and the actors are just so freaking good at being competent yeah. <laughs> or what also, at that moment like elliot's almost like okay so i what do we okay so this we just got to take care of business and get this done mm -hmm. because his job is to protect everybody else and make sure they're safe. He's like their first line of, they kind of go through him. Like, yeah. So, so he, he's basically, I guess their thing is the only way we're going to 
fix this and save me keep everybody safe is to get it done so let's get it done there's no time to freak out let's time to pull on our big girl panties and get it done (laughs) exactly exactly oh and one one last thing i love when um parker and hardison have ditched the van and they've shown back up in like an unmarked fed car and elliot's waiting for them with the binder full of any sort of you know identity they want and they just pull out the fbi badges (laughs) and they've got the whole the whole thing ready to go because hardison has all of these backup ids ready which is just beautiful and they're i think there was an episode further down the line when he's like you people don't even know what i do do you you don't appreciate the work (laughs) the back end the work i do in the back end for you you don't even know no i don't think that even those of us who are keeping track of that like there's does he sleep when does he do that because he's got so much stuff all the time and yeah i'm all for appreciating like respect to him and lucille respect to lucille we still haven't met lucille she hasn't she hasn't officially made an appearance in the in the two horse shop they're in a black van that i think might be like proto lucille but she was not named yet so i can't wait for everyone to meet lucille all right let me do a quick book recommendation um this one we're gonna go a little sci-fi uh, it's a young adult book. It's called Want. It's the first in a new series by Cindy Pond, set in kind of a near future Taipei, uh, which is just plagued um, by pollution. And it's about a group of teenagers who are willing to risk everything to save their um, their country. They're basically a team leverage. So each kind of member of their group has different skill sets and the main character is going to infiltrate the high society of this uh, of Taipei and they're working to take down this company who creates these suits that make it so you can go outside and be healthy because the air is so bad and they're the science and technology in this book is so awesome and so the way that she describes it is so neat and all of the characters are really interesting so you should definitely check that out it's called want by cindy pawn and yeah it's got a good heist in it that i can't tell you more about or it'll ruin things but there are kidnappings (laughs) mistaken identities there's lots of talk of food and i was very hungry the whole time Uh, lots of lots of talk of like the changing styles of the kind of the younger set in this world yeah it's good it's really good so all right did you have Um, any book you want to talk about i can recommend is um home port by nora roberts it's a romantic suspense novel and Mm -hmm. um the heroine miranda is uh like an art um archaeology art um she she does lab work and tests like artwork and like authenticates art and works in the lab and things like that like so there's a lot of art and art history Uh and things like statues and the hero um is actually um an art thief (gasps) so i i don't want to give too much away because there's a suspense plot but basically yeah so 
um, you know, there's some, uh, you know, Madonna, like, there's a statue that's at the heart of it, and then there's, like, there's the, the food, there's eating in Italy, uh, it's, like, and then there's, like, this, like, originally, like, it's, it's, it's in, um, in Maine, but they but they kind of travel because trying to figure out what's happening with the statue and the art and like the forgeries and all this other stuff. And then like he she gets so pissed at him when she finds out. <laughs> but like he meets his family, and then and and then like you guys are just okay with the fact that your son or your brother is a thief. <laughs> and, then, and then the mom mom was like, well, do you believe in God? Well, this was God's gift of mine, his ability to steal and provide for the people. <laughs> What what a way to justify that to yourself. I know, right? That's well, amazing. It was, I mean, it was published in the nineties, so you yeah. know, it, it's so you know, it's a little bit of than the old school tradition, but I really liked it. I mean, I like the art and the mystery aspect of mm-hmm. it, and the like. Their secret, they had to go undercover. Like he has a cousin who who does the horror scene and gives them like gives them their fake passports and IDs, and then she's so mad at him, but they have to pretend to be this lovey dovey couple, and it's just. This sounds great. I have to be honest, I've never read a Nora Roberts book. Um, so this will have to be my first one. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. <laughs> I hope you didn't steer me wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> thank you everybody for uh, listening today. Um, and thank you, Lisa, for being on. Yes. So you already called an episode in season two. Are there any episodes yeah. in season one that you'd like to come back for? Hmm. The next episode is the Stork Job, which is a really emotional episode for Parker. I wouldn't mind doing the wedding job. That okay. was fun. That's All a right. fun one. That is a good one. Okay. Well, yeah. cool. you'll be back with the wedding job. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Uh-oh. I'm usually on Twitter. That is my social media platform of choice. Mm-hmm. It's Offeresta1. You can find me there. I talk politics, I talk romance, history. I'm random all over the place. So <laughs> that's good. That's what Twitter is for. Books. Yeah. Awesome. Books. So, <laughs> find me there. <laughs> all right. I'm Christina. I'm at Librarian Stee on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, on YouTube. My channel is Reading Rainbow Hair. If you want to hear me talk more about, about books. All right, that's it for us, and we'll see you in, well, we won't see you at all, but um, you'll hear us again in two weeks. Thanks, have a good night, everybody.